I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, open with me to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 17, as we continue our study in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 17, today we're looking at verses 14 through 20. Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there, and it's page 150 in the Pew Bible. Page 150 in the Pew Bible. You know, there's nothing like uh, putting yourself under a microscope and uh, looking at your life. Uh, the only thing that makes that more, more uncomfortable is to invite other people to... to view the microscope as you're trying to look at yourself and uh, I feel like in a way I feel like that's what I'm doing today uh, because as we continue our study here in Deuteronomy we're going moving to a passage that looks at the shepherd of Israel now last week we looked at uh, as we were kind of moving through here you remember we're in a, a section of the Deuteronomic law that covers the, the fifth commandment, honor father and mother. And as we have said in the past, the general principle behind honor your father and mother is to honor God-ordained leadership, God-ordained authority. So as we get into the Deuteronomic law, we see that expands beyond the household authority of mother and father to include other authorities that God has ordained and put in place. And so as we are going through this, last week we looked at the judicial system there in Israel, and we saw there that godly leaders pursue justice, and we saw how that works out. Now today, we're getting into Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20, and here Moses sets out the attributes of a godly shepherd. Now in the Old Testament, the shepherd of Israel was the king. And so that's what he's focusing on here in our text today. But as we kind of move towards the New Testament, and the New Testament church, the, the, the shepherd of the, the church, of course, is the pastor. And surely, as we begin to look at the attributes of a godly shepherd in the Old Testament, a godly king, those correspond to the New Testament attributes of a godly pastor. So uh, this really feels like it applies a lot to me as I begin to study this text and get ready for today's message. So today we're going to look at five attributes of a godly shepherd. Five attributes of a godly shepherd and these five attributes will, in these five attributes, we'll discover that a godly shepherd reflects the image of Christ. A godly shepherd reflects the image of of Christ. Now this is a high standard, of course, but it is a standard which every shepherd, including myself, should be held. So we're going to consider that this morning. Well, it's only a couple of paragraphs, so I'm going to go ahead and read it, and uh, as, then we'll start working through it. So if you found your place there in Deuteronomy chapter 17, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. 
and hear the word of the Lord. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for, for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest he, and lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excess silver or gold. And when, and when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priest, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and, do the, and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not, return asi may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel." Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, we certainly pray that you would write its eternal truth on all our hearts this morning. Lord, pray as we look at the attributes of a godly shepherd, Lord, that uh, you would just give us direction, Lord. Show us how it applies to us today. And Lord, may we learn to live by it. Now, these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we begin to, to look at our text this morning, consider the attributes of a godly shepherd. First of all, we, we notice here that a godly shepherd is called. A godly shepherd is called. Uh, of course, when it came to the king, we notice there that Moses is allowing for a king to be established. At this point in time in Israel's history, as Moses is preparing the people to go into the, the promised land, there is no king. Moses is serving as prophet, but God is their king. But he anticipates a time and a day when they will ask for a king to be set over them. And of course, this takes place. And as you go on through the scriptures, you see this happening in 1 Samuel chapter 8. As Samuel is the prophet uh, that kind of took the place of Moses, but he, he's getting older. And so the people of Israel ask, give us a king like the rest of the nations. And so Samuel gives them a king, and of course that started with Saul, and then it became David after Saul, and then that started the Davidic kingdom. But we see here that, that Moses, he understands that this is going to take place, and so he sets out the requirements for a king in Israel. And first and foremost, we see here that he says, you may indeed, and this is verse 15 there, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. This is a man that must be called by God for that specific purpose. Uh, a shepherd 
over God's people must be called. That is, he must be God-appointed. He must be God-appointed. This is not someone that can be self-appointed. It's not someone that can be family-appointed. It's not even someone that can be church-appointed. A man of God, a godly shepherd, must be God-appointed. It must be someone that God puts in that place. And we see this taking place, of course, in the New Testament as well. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 17, Paul reflects his own call into the gospel ministry. Notice what he says here, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, we don't know why Paul went away to Arabia. Uh, most people kind of think that he went away to kind of get his theology worked out because it was a new thing, right? He, he, he came to faith in Christ, and he had to figure out how this worked, and he had to look into Old Testament. And so many people think that he went to Arabia to kind of get his theology worked out, but then he returned to Damascus, and, and we see in the book of Acts that he began to preach the gospel. Uh, he didn't confer with anybody about that. He, he knew his calling. God had given a calling upon his life. This was a point in time when he realized that God had set him aside before he was born, he says. Before I was even born, God set me aside for this purpose. And at the appointed time, he called me to this purpose. We see the same thing again in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, this is a passage most of us uh, are familiar with. Jeremiah, when he was called into the ministry, uh, the word says, now the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God has always been in the, the, the business of calling people to the work of the ministry. And that certainly is the case when it comes to a godly shepherd. A shepherd must be called by God. Right? It must be called by God. And I've seen many people who, who try to go in the ministry because, oh, well, I, that sounds like it's a good profession. But that doesn't work, right? They don't, they don't have that, the stay power because they don't have the call. I've seen pa uh, preachers who were called by their family, right? Mom and daddy wanted them to be a pastor, and so they kind of surrendered to the ministry. But guess what? They don't last. They don't last because they don't have the divine call. A preacher must be called by God. A shepherd must be called by God into the ministry. Furthermore, a godly shepherd must be empowered by God. He, he's God called, but he's also God empowered. 
He is God-empowered. 1 Corinthians, again, chapter 12, verse 7 through 11. Paul indicates this, this empowerment by God. Here he's talking about, of course, the spiritual gifts to each is given. The manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to the one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the same by the one spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another the ability to distinguish uh, between spirits to another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills there must be that spiritual giftedness to be a, uh, a shepherd of God's people. Uh, there must be that. Uh, I, I can tell you that uh, as in my own experience, I've experienced that. Now, I could not stand before you here today if I were not empowered by God to do that. I can remember before my calling, I, I wouldn't dare stand up before people and, and talk at all. I didn't have any care about that. I, when, you look back, when I look back at myself as a child, I wouldn't get up in front of people to do anything. Uh, even quoting Scripture, like, like reading Scripture in, in some of the VBS closing programs, you know, when I was asked to do something, I was like, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. I wouldn't even think about doing that. But God called me to this, to, to be a pastor, and when he called me to be a pastor, he equipped me with all that I needed to do to, to, to do the job he has called me to do. So it must be uh, God called, God empowered, and then church affirmed. It must also be church affirmed. In Galatians, Paul speaks of the church's affirmation of his call, right? He, he was called by God. He knew his call was from God, and he began to work in the ministry because of his call. But then the church affirmed his call. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 7 through 10, he says, On the contrary, when they saw, that is the church, the elders of the church at Jerusalem, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles, when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, pillars in the church there, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. He says, they recognized, right? They recognized. They, they looked at me. I was, I was going out and I was doing it. And the church recognized that the spirit that was empowering Peter in his ministry was the same spirit working in me for my ministry. They recognized God's calling on my life and they affirmed that. And so we see it is the case in, in church. When someone is called to the ministry, it, it's not just that they take up and, and go, but 
it, it, it is, uh, is realized by the church, right? The church affirms that calling. They see that gift coming alive in that person, and they affirm that calling. A, ca- a pastor's calling must be affirmed by the church. Uh, again, I can remember uh, when I was first being called into the ministry, uh, I even had some people who were affirming it before I realized I was being called into the ministry. Uh, my pastor, who was a really good friend of mine, uh, we were talking about uh, how I was just couldn't decide on, on my career and what I needed to do with the rest of my life. And he said, uh, Richard, that's because you have pastoritis. I'm like, what are you talking about, pastoritis? He said, God's calling you to the ministry. You just don't realize it yet. And I thought he was crazy, and I told him so. But uh, then about a year later, I realized, yeah, 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 he was right. He was right. He was already affirming that in me because he was seeing God work in my life. And it, of course, has been affirmed many times since then. But, but that's the way it goes. When, when you have someone coming into the ministry who's being called into the ministry, the church sees that. They see the work of God in that person's life, and they affirm that calling. And so the pastor, the shepherd of God's people, a godly shepherd, is called by God, called by God, empowered by God, and affirmed by the church. Uh, and it must be so, right? There, there must be that sense of calling. If not, if there's not that sense of calling, they're not going to make it. A person will not make it in the ministry without a calling upon their lives. Erwin Lutzer says, I do not see how anyone could survive in the ministry if he felt it was just his own choice. Some ministers scarcely have two good days back to back. They are sustained by the knowledge that God has placed them where they are. Ministers without such a conviction often lack courage and carry their, uh, and carry their resignation letter in their coat pocket. At the slightest hint of dis- difficulty, they're gone. And so there must be that sense of calling upon a shepherd's life. So a godly shepherd is called by God. Second, a godly shepherd is, of course, regenerate. A godly shepherd is regenerate. That is, a godly shepherd is certainly a Christian. Duh, but uh, we need to consider this. Notice we see that in our text when it comes to the shepherd of Israel, the king. He says, it must be one from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. So it must, in Israel, it was someone who was an Israelite, right? A person who was an Israelite. Uh, of course, this, how does this correspond to the church? Well, it must be a Christian. He must be a Christian. He must be one who is saved and regenerate by the Lord. Uh, now, you say, well, duh, right? Duh, of course, a pastor should be a Christian. But we know, and the Lord makes this absolutely clear, that on the day of judgment, there will be unregenerate ministers there who cry out to him, but Lord, Lord, right? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Now listen to this. Did we not prophesy in your name? 
and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Boy, yeah, there's a lot of people who are in the pastoral ministry doing the works of, of the gospel ministry, but who are unregenerate, who are unsaved, whom the Lord will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Furthermore, Paul explains that the church will gladly place unregenerate pastors in pulpits. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3-4, through 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the, to the truth and wander off into myths. Of course there are uh, pastors out there, people who are, are filling pulpits today who are unregenerate. They're not Christians, but they're put there because they, can, they, they, they got the right tone of voice, right? They, they have the right skills as a person who can speak before people and, and get people uh, kind of rallied up and that sort of thing. They're, they're good speakers, and so, of course, they're in those places because they can draw big crowds. They're there. They're there. I can remember back in college, long time ago, uh, back when I first started college, I was taking a business course, and I had a, a professor who was an atheist Jew, right? He, was, he professed to be an atheist Jew, but do you know what? He was also the rabbi at a, a synagogue not far from the school. Now, he went there because, you know, he was Jew, and his parents expected him to go to, to synagogue. Uh, but when he got there, uh, they asked him to teach. And he was like, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, guys. Y'all know, right, that I'm a, an atheist, right? But that's okay, because you got the credentials, and so we want you to teach. Now, I know that's a Jewish synagogue. That wasn't a Christian church. But we see the same thing happening in Christian churches. If a person has the right credentials, if he has the right skills, if he can draw in a crowd, then it really doesn't matter about his character. It really doesn't matter about if he's really regenerate or not. If he has the fruits of, of uh, salvation in his life, if he can get the job done, then hey, let's put him in that position. There are churches who see that. There's churches that do that very same thing. So we need to hear the word of the Lord. Uh, a shepherd, a godly shepherd, certainly must be regenerate. He must be a child of God, a member of God's people. So a godly shepherd must be regenerate. A godly shepherd must be called. A godly shepherd must be regenerate. Third, we see here, a godly shepherd must be temperate. A godly shepherd must be temperate. Now, where do you get that here in our text here? Well, let's look at it. We see there he, he gives, and this is kind of how this, this text breaks down in Deuteronomy. Uh, first, Moses lays out the two requirements. He must be chosen by God. He must be called, right? He must be an ethnic Israelite. He must be a, 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 an Israelite. Uh, but then he, he lays out these three restrictions. He lays out these three restrictions. Notice what he says there. Verse 16, only he must not acquire many horses, 
for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses? Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest he, his heart uh, turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excess silver and gold. Now, so here are these three restrictions. Notice these three restrictions. Uh, he shall not gather up, uh, collect for himself uh, many horses, many wives, and a lot of silver. Now, what's Moses talking about there? What's he getting at? He, the, 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 the shepherd of Israel shouldn't be given to excess. He shouldn't be given to excess. Excessive horses indicates excessive military power. That's why a king in that day would accumulate many horses. It's not to, to have a horse farm, right? Not to sell horses and get into the horse business. No, to, to accumulate many horses for themselves was, was to build an army. To have excessive military power and might. And when he says, don't accumulate for himself many wives, well, what does that have to do with? Well, that's not just accumulating lots of women, right? Not having lots of, of, of women there in, in, his, in his castle. Uh, the point there is that uh, to have excessive wives, to uh, gather many wives, especially for a king, that was to accumulate political power. It was to, to accumulate political power. That's what kings did. How did you make political treaties with other nations? Well, you married the king's daughter. You brought her into your kingdom. And, and so that's how they made these political alliances. That, that's what we see taking place with Solomon, right? When he marries Pharaoh's daughter, is to make an alliance with Egypt. And that's what he did when he accumulated all of those wives that he accumulated. It was all uh, to make these political alliances to build his political power in the region and so when Moses says he shall not accumulate many wives it's not just that he collect a bunch of women uh, although that would be bad in itself but but the the point is that he would not go out pursuing excessive political power and then of course we kind of get the silver, gold and silver. He's not to accumulate lots of gold and silver. He's not to uh, accumulate for himself much wealth. He's not to be given to excess. The king is not to be given to excess. He's to be moderate in all things. And we see the same thing telling us, uh, we see the same thing as it comes to the characteristics of a godly shepherd in the New Testament as well. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, an elder, a pastor, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Now notice, we're not going to cover that list in detail, but, but notice here the characteristics of a godly shepherd in the New Testament. He's a faithful husband, number one, right? He's a one-woman man. He's faithful to his wife. He's faithful to his family. He is sober-minded. He is 
temperate, not giving to extremes in his behavior. He's self-controlled, he's prudent, he's disciplined, wisely keeping self-control over his passions and his desires. To be temperate is to avoid uh, extravagance, extravagances and overindulgences. It's to avoid those extremes. Temperate people are, are free uh, from the excessive influence of passion, lust, and emotions, says one author. So think about uh, a, a godly pastor, a godly shepherd who is temperate. That means he is even killed, right? He's even killed. Now, for those who know anything about boats, a, a boat that's even killed, right, it sails smoothly. It glides through the water smoothly. If it sets too low in the water, it kind of just kind of drugs along. It kind of just kind of drugs down and it kind of just pokes along. Uh, but if it gets too high up in the water, well, then it gets unstable. And it can even get to the point that it could flip. And, and so a, a, a godly shepherd is even killed. It, it's not too low, right? It's not not saying that a a pastor, a shepherd should be kind of like a a stoic, just, I'm just here. I don't get excited about no no desires, no passions, no no motivation whatsoever, just kind of, oh, yeah, that'd be kind of too low in the water. It's not to have no passion, not to have no desires, but that it be regulated, right? That it be tempered. That it be controlled. He must control his passions, control his desires, not be overly indulgent. Because when you get overly indulgent, when you get uh, too far, have too much passion, too much desires, and give in to too much desire, uh, well then that, that, there you get off balance, right? You, you get out of control and you can cause a wreck that would be devastating not only to the pastor but to the church as well and we see this taking place all the time we see this taking place all the time we see pastors giving in to their desires and crushing churches dragging churches into their own sin and crushing them because of their sin a pastor is to be temperate self-disciplined self-controlled Monitoring his emotions, moderating, moderating, uh, moderate, monitoring his his passions and his emotions and his desires. So a godly shepherd is temperate in his passions, desires, and emotions. So a godly pastor is called regenerate, temperate, and fourth, a godly pastor, a godly shepherd is exemplary. A godly pastor is exemplary. Here we see it in our text in the next paragraph, verse, uh, starting in verse 18. And when he sits on the, th- on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord for to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. Do you see, you notice what the, what the requirement of the king is? 
The, queen, the king had to, to write for himself a copy of the Bible. Right? That was the Bible. The law was the Bible that they had at that time. That's all they had. And, and so the king was required, hey, you've got to make a copy of this yourself. Now, when you start writing something yourself, you begin to remember it a little bit better, don't you? Plus, there, there was no printing press back then, so he had to get a copy somehow. And, and so the requirement was that he would make his own copy and, and then that copy be approved by the Levitical priest, right? He, he can't just kind of... Uh, add his own stuff in there he had to have it checked by the levitical priest to make sure it was accurate once he was finished with it and then he was to read it to study it and to apply it to his life in other words he had to first of all he had to be a student of god's word the godly king had to be a a student of god's word he had to read that god's word every day Get into it every day. He had to study God's Word. But then, it's not just enough to study God's Word. He had to be a doer of God's Word. And that's how he ends there at the end of of verse 19. And doing them, right? It's not just reading the Word. It's not just knowing the Word. It's not just memorizing the Word. But it's actually doing the Word. The king in Old Testament Israel, the king was to be a model of, of godliness he was to be a model of being a torah follower right he was to model what it was to look like to follow god's law first and foremost the king was to be a model of godliness to the people of israel and so it is with a preacher A shepherd in the church is to be a model of godliness for the church. Titus chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. Paul says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, not eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock." right Uh, the old phrase do as i say not as i do it never works it never works parents it doesn't work when you do that to your kids when you tell your kids "Uh oh don't do this but then you go do it yeah that doesn't work right you've got to set the example and so it is with the pastor so it is with the shepherd the shepherd must set the example the shepherd must set the example A shepherd must be an example of godliness for his flock. So a godly shepherd is called, regenerate, temperate, exemplary, 
And fifth, a godly shepherd is humble. A godly shepherd must be humble. Look at verse 20 there, finishing out our text. He's to study God's word. He's to do God's word. Verse 20, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, left so that he may continue long in his kingdom and he and his children in Israel. Notice what he says there, that first that, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brother. In other words, that the king's heart might be humbled. Right, because that being a king over Israel, that was kind of an exalted position. And, and so is the case often when, when kings get into those positions of power, they begin to think highly of themselves. They begin to get this kind of idea, well, look at me. Aren't I something? And, and they look at everybody else as, oh, well, there's the peasants, right? Here I am the king and everybody else is just a peasant. And so the king was to, to study God's word, to, to read his word, study God's word, to do God's word so that his heart might be humbled, that he might see that he's just like his brothers out there that he's leading and ruling over. He's nothing but a man. God's word keeps him humble. You just think about that. As we study God's word, God's word is the standard God's word is the standard. So often we begin to look at other people and we make other people the standard. And other people and other people, we can find fault. You can do that, right? You can look at your own sin. You can look at your own inabilities. You can look at your own shortcomings. And you can always look around you and find someone worse. And you can be like the Pharisee there in the temple. Thank you, Lord God, that I'm not like that sinner over there. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that woman. Thank you, Lord, I'm not like that man. Thank you, Lord, I I'm just so good and wonderful and great because I'm not like that person. Well, that drug addict, man, he's got, he's got it terrible. That person over there chasing around all those women. Oh, that, look at that sinner, Lord. Aren't you glad I'm not like that? You see, when everybody else is the standard, we can begin to think highly of ourselves. But when God's Word is your standard, when God is your standard, you begin to realize, I'm not all that great after all. I'm not all that great after all. We begin to see ourselves in light of God. And when we compare ourselves to God's Word, when we compare ourselves to God, when we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ, we realize how sinful we are. I would dare say, if you've studied God's Word, the more you study God's Word, the more you dig into God's Word, the humbler you get. I can say when I was younger, 
I thought, man, look at me. Look at me, Lord. I'm studying my Bible. Woo! Aren't you happy? Aren't you proud of me, Lord? I'm reading, I'm reading your word daily. I'm on a, a Bible reading. Aren't I doing good, God? But the older I've gotten, and the more I study God's word, the more wretched I see myself. And that's the way it is when you study God's word. When you see yourself in light of God's perfection, you can't exalt yourself. You can't exalt yourself. All you can do is thank you, Lord, for loving a wretched, wretched sinner like me. God's word will humble you. It will humble you. I used to work at the, the sale barn, and uh, that's the livestock auction, for those who don't know. Uh, the sale barn was a livestock auction. Of course, you can imagine at the livestock auction, it reeked of manure, right? It just reeked of manure. And, but when you're there in the mud and the muck and you're in the manure, you, you kind of get used to it after a little while. And when you're in there working and you get the manure up and down your legs and on you and, and you, before long you begin to smell like the manure. But you don't notice it because it's all around you, right? You're in the mud and the muck and so it, you don't pay no attention to it whatsoever and, and it just get used to it. And, and so I can remember there were a few times that I was there and I worked from early morning till late at night sometimes at the, the sale barn. And I can remember a, a few times that uh, I got off kind of late, and, and maybe instead of going and taking a shower, I wanted to see Mary Beth before her curfew, and so maybe I'd go see her, or maybe she'd be there waiting on me at the house. And, and you know, I came with the manure on me because I hadn't showered yet. And then there she was, pristine, clean, all dolled up, she smelled good. And when I, covered in manure, came into her presence of pristineness, I quickly became aware of how rank I smelt. And so it is with God's Word. When you are out in the mud and the muck and the manure, you don't see how wretched you are. But when you come into the presence of God's holiness through the studying of His Word, you become aware real quickly of how much you reek of sin. Oh, God's Word will humble you. It will humble you. It will bring you to your knees. A godly shepherd walks in humility as he walks with the Lord. So a godly shepherd is called regenerate, temperate, exemplary, and humble. Thus, a godly shepherd, of course, reflects the image of Jesus Christ. You know, pastor's calling is a high calling. 
in his lectures to my students, Charles Spurgeon once wrote, If a pastor were called to an ordinary position and to common work, common grace might perhaps satisfy him. Though even then it would be an indolent satisfaction. But being elect to extraordinary labors and called to a place of unusual peril, he should be anxious to possess that superior strength which alone is adequate to his station. His pulse of vital godliness must beat strongly and regularly. His eye of faith must be bright. His foot of resolution must be firm. His hand of activity must be quick. His whole inner man must be in the greatest, the, the highest degree of sanity. It is said of the, inner, of the Egyptians that they chose their priests from amongst, uh, uh, from the most learned of their philosophers, and then they esteemed their priests so highly that they chose their kings from them. We require to have for God's ministers the pick of all the Christian hosts, such men indeed that if the nation wanted kings, they could not do better than elevate them to the throne. For some work, we choose none but the strong. And when God calls us to ministerial labors, we should endeavor to get grace that we may be strengthened into fitness for our position and not be mere novices carried away by the uh, temptations of Satan to the injury of the church and our own ruin. We are to stand equipped with the whole armor of God ready for feats of valor not expected of others. To use self-denial, self-forgetfulness, patience, perseverance, long-suffering. It must be everyday virtues. And who is sufficient for these things? We had need live very near to God if we would approve ourselves and our vocation. A godly shepherd must reflect the image of Christ. Thus, the need for an abundance of God's grace. Now, do notice... I say a godly shepherd reflects the image of Christ. The thing about a reflection is that a reflection is not perfect. In a reflection, there's always smudges and streaks. A godly pastor is called and regenerate for sure. A temperate, we strive for that, but I'll be honest, I have my failings from time to time. Exemplary? Certainly I try. I try to be a, a, an example to those whom I serve. Humble? I'm always having to check my pride. And I have to say with Paul, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. In other words, 
only as I imitate Christ. Please don't imitate me in my failings. But imitate me as I imitate Christ. You see, there is only one perfect shepherd. And that is Jesus Christ. First and foremost, follow Him. First and foremost, imitate Him. And pray for me as I try to be the best shepherd that I can possibly be. Heavenly Father, I confess, O oh Lord, how humbling this message and the whole preparation process for this message has been for me. And Lord, I just pray as you're called shepherd over this flock, Lord, I pray that you'd forgive me of my failings. And Lord, strengthen me in my walk with you. May I always strive to be temperate and exemplary. And Lord, humble me anytime my pride gets the best of me. Lord, I want to be faithful to you. I want to be faithful to your people. So Lord, help me. Help me. And Lord, I pray that your congregation, your people would, would keep a check on me. And to help me and pray for me along the way. But Lord, we know that you are our supreme shepherd. And so Lord, we look to you and we want to follow you always. Lord, today, if there's any today who are here, and I know this has been a different message, but Lord, if there's any today who don't know Jesus, I just pray that through the preaching of your word, somehow, some way, they would look to Christ, the, the great shepherd, and surrender their lives to him. And these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.